Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Hey, good morning, everybody. Y'all doing all right? Awesome. So glad to see all of you guys here. So listen, I want to, I want to read a verse to you this morning, and, and uh, then I'm going to introduce our, our speaker today. But uh, if you're familiar with Acts chapter 2, we know this is where uh, the 120 uh, gathered there together, and as they prayed, once again in unity, we know that the fire of God fell. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it says that uh, basically that the, the the crowd noticed what was going on, and uh, and so they began to think that they were drunk because of the supernatural currents was happening. And then it says that Peter uh, said, "Look, you know, basically, men and women, the, the, these folks aren't drunk as you suppose." And then he said, "Look, this is in accordance to Joel chapter two. And then he began to preach Jesus. He preached the gospel. And then uh, once he gets to the end, I, I want to bring us to this verse where I can lean in with me really quick, please. This is how Peter ended basically his salvation message. He said, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, "Be saved from this perverse generation." Somebody say perverse generation." So, obviously, uh, I think when we hear the word perverse, there's a lot of things coming to our mind, but, but really what it means is it means crooked or it means morally twisted, okay? And obviously, he was talking about a culture that wasn't just twisted in one area, it was twisted in many areas. I think we can all agree that even though this was 2,000 years ago, man, we still today live in a culture that's very twisted morally. Can I get an amen on that? All right, so listen, obviously when, when we are just like these people, because it says that pretty much after that spot, it said that 3,000 people got saved and they were baptized. Now watch this. What's the next step? It says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In other words, they begin to learn the Bible and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because most of us in this room, especially if you got saved older in life, uh, meaning basically late teenagers, not as a little a little child, but if you got saved really in your teen years, your, your adolescent years, young adult years, whatever, and so on, then, then you know what it means to really come into the kingdom and have a twisted moral compass. I'm making sense. And so, so just like uh, these people, once they dove into what was called the Bible, what we refer to it today, uh, guess what God began to do? He began to straighten out basically their moral conscience. He began to give them a moral compass uh, that was basically very God-directed. And so I'm saying that because I think, you know, as your pastor, it's very important that as we come to Jesus that we don't, uh, you know, basically try to allow this culture to determine our moral compass. We allow the Bible to do it, right? It's really easy to get on social media and uh, to, to turn on some, you know, news outlet, whatever, and, and let them determine what you believe. And, man, I want you to know that's a huge mistake if you're doing that. Okay, everything that we believe needs to come from the book. We are disciples of Jesus, and the word disciple simply means this. It means to be a follower of Christ, but also means to follow the teachings and the teacher. So you can't follow Jesus without following his teachings. So if we're following Jesus, we've got to follow what he taught. Amen. And so, and so I just think this, that at the end of the day, um, man, if we're really Bible people, then all the arguments go out the window. We just know what we believe, 
right? Because it's here. Amen? So, so I say that in, in this sense today, that today we're going to talk uh, in, in a roundabout way about a topic that, that is a hot topic in our society, okay? And I think it's easy for a lot of Christians to go bury their head in the sand. But, but as you, you'll see in a minute, Jesus never did that, okay? So if we're going to follow him, we can't do that. Are y'all with me? So we can't be scared to talk about hard topics because I feel like we live in a culture that it's like it's okay for a pastor or to come to church and preach about these safe areas, but let's don't talk about real life issues. If our doctrine doesn't ever touch real life issues, we're missing the gospel. Yeah. Amen? So, so anyway, so about 11 months ago, as we were kind of planning things, knowing that today was uh, Sanctity of Human Life Day, I, I asked Leah Carl if she would be willing to come and, and to uh, preach today. Okay, so for you guys that know Leah, uh, Leah is the executive director of Zoe, a women's center uh, here in town. And what I love about what you're going to hear in a minute is uh, so often when people talk about this subject, they get uh, red in the face, they get angry, and they just want to argue and they want to get in a fist fight. And I love the fact that what you're going to hear today is someone who's been compelled by the love of Jesus to do what they do. And so it's not coming from a place of bitterness, a place of anger, but it's coming from a place of love. And I think we need to open our hearts up when you respect that and allow Jesus to shift something in us if it needs to be shifted. Amen? So what you're going to hear today is just loads of love. And, and if I could give maybe her any, uh, you know, glowing recommendation, as if she needs one, uh, would be simply this. You know, over the, my past 26 years of walking with Jesus, I would say that Leah is probably one of the godliest women I've ever met in my life. In fact, I would put her in the top five easy of all the women I've ever met of someone who loves Jesus, right? Because she's a woman of the word and she's a woman of prayer. And uh, man, when she prays, things happen. I, you know, like I told first service, if I want somebody praying for me, man, it's Leah Carl. So this is a woman that Jennifer and I trust. Uh, you know, we, we view her and highly respect her counsel in many things. And I would just encourage you to lean in with an open heart. Today's going to be a little different, and that's okay, because sometimes it's good to hear different. Amen? Can y'all welcome Miss Leah Carl, please? All right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are and for the love that you gave when you sent Jesus, your son. I thank you, God, uh, for your words, your wisdom, your revelation, your insight, your hope, your righteousness, your justice. I thank you that uh, all of that that you are. I ask you, God, uh, or I thank you that we, you've given us ears to hear. You've given us eyes to see. You've given us a heart to receive. And I thank you for the grace and the courage to respond. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you know every single heart in here. So we give you permission to just speak to them with the situations and the things that you need to speak to their heart. And I thank you that they are leaning in to your words today. In Jesus' name. So in March of uh, 2018, I was on a boardwalk. It was like a carnival type thing around this boardwalk. And I was walking along, I was by myself, and I noticed a group of young men. It was young uh, teenagers, young adult men. And they were kicking something on the ground and they were laughing about it. And as I got closer, I noticed that it was a baby. 
and it was about nine or ten month old baby on the ground and the baby was bloodied and bruised there were no cries coming from this baby just whimpers and so I am I immediately started thinking what can I do what do I do about this and where's the mother I don't like who else is around where did this baby come from so I began running over there to this group and I began to tell them to stop. So they ran away laughing as they were running and I still was thinking as I looked down, like, what do I do? Where's this mother? Why am I the one here? And I looked over as I knelt down to the baby. I looked over and I saw the mother. She was sitting on some steps and her head was in her hands and she had this hopeless air about her like this given up. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's just happened. And very hopeless. And she had just was immovable. And I was sitting there thinking, but this mother needs to help her baby. Like, she needs to help me help her baby. Why do I have to do this? And I don't even know what to do. And then I woke up. It was a very vivid dream that I had in 2018. It was two weeks after I had taken the role of the executive director at Zoe Women's Center. And I remember when I woke up, God said to me clearly, because the dream, I could, I could, it was so vivid, I could smell, hear, everything was like it was real. And it didn't leave, it still hasn't left me. And I remember I woke up and God said, you help them both. That mother needs you. That baby needs you. And, and he added into it, and those men need you. And so I remember bringing that in, thinking, how do I do that? Like, really, like, how does this happen? I read this quote the other day, G.K. Chesterton. He's a Christian apologist, a philosopher, and a writer from the 20th century. And he said, the true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him. He fights because he loves what is behind him. And I thought, wow, that's, that captures it. What's behind us? It's a group of women, it's a group of men that need help, that need compassion and hope and support and healing and freedom and peace and you name it. That's what's behind us. That's what we fight. People who are facing pregnancy decisions, whether they need to abort or to keep, or whether they would have the baby in place for adoption, they're facing these decisions. And that may seem foreign to some of us, or maybe not. Decisions that we have never faced, or maybe we have. People who have made decisions in pregnancy that we didn't agree with, these are the ones behind us. And we fight out of love and mercy for all of them, not hating those who may be in opposition to us or those who made a choice that we oppose. We fight because we love who's behind us. So today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. In 1984, then-President Ronald Reagan, he issued a presidential proclamation designating January 22nd as the National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And after 1984, Reagan continued the proclamation every year, and so this Sunday closest to January 22nd, and now it has become 
basically the fourth Sunday, became recognized as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. That's what it is in our country. Sanctity means the quality of being very important and deserving respect. Sanctity is a sacred thing. The ultimate importance and secure from violation and assault. In other words, life is sacred from the womb to the tomb. Let's read Isaiah 46.3. This is the word of God. And as we read the word today, which there's quite a bit in here, I'm praying that Holy Spirit, the, the, the word says in Psalms, the entrance of the word brings light. And so where there might be some places that are fuzzy and dark or that we've actually pulled a cover over because we don't necessarily want to face it or hear it or know it, that I'm praying that those places, the entrance of his word today, brings light into our heart and our soul. It says, listen to me, says the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and even to hair white with age will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Yes, I will carry and will save you. And our next verse is Psalm 139. This is 13 through 16. So we know this verse is always the go-to verse for life. In the message, though, I want to read how it reads in the message. Oh, yes, you shaped me first, inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb, and I thank you, high God, your breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship and adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. Such an amazing God. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I had even lived one day. Matthew 10, 29 through 31. And are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Human life is in the womb. From the moment, the very first moment of conception, there are three characteristics that make it a human life. Number one, it's alive and growing. Number two, it is composed entirely of human cells. And number three, it has a unique DNA. It is a person being developed. And that human life, that person has value, as does the mother carrying that life. And we are there meeting her where she is, hoping to empower her to make a decision that she can live with for her lifetime. So I want, I'll say this a couple times today, because I want to make this clear. This is not a political view. This is a biblical view, a moral issue. It has been turned into a political issue. It has been used back and forth to divide and bring hatred and anger and many other things that we 
I'm assuming we all know what is happening in our culture and society, and has been for years. But this isn't political. I don't speak from a political perspective. It doesn't mean to say that we as Christians don't have rights and responsibilities to be a part of systems and do the right thing. Or some are called into that world. There are even legislative things that are being presented here in our state right now that want to ban pregnancy centers from their deceptive practices. There are many things that are happening. So there are political pieces, but that is not what this is about and never has been. Because before there was a person or a president to acknowledge the sacredness of life, there was God who gave the sacredness of life. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore, it was necessary for him, Jesus, to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that Jesus could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. So in order for Jesus, in other words, for him to be this perfect sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world, to be the substitute, he became fully human. He was fully God, but he became fully human. He became God in bodily form. And in order for that to happen, for humanity, his human life had to match ours, has to match ours from start to finish, if he's going to be the perfect substitute from conception to death. So at the very beginning, at conception, when Holy Spirit planted the seed of Jesus in the womb of Mary, Jesus' humanity began. And when you look at the word womb, um, in Hebrew, the, it's, it's rakam. Um, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it not correctly, but it means the place of mercy, the place of compassion. That's what womb means. When Jesus transitioned into humanity in the bodily form, when he was conceived in the womb, there was no gap in that transition. In other words, no stopping of life. He didn't stop living. He was fully God, becoming, transitioning into fully man. He was always alive during that time. So at conception, he was alive. So he was our perfect substitute. Has to match us in our humanity. There was life at conception. So I'm going to share just a tiny bit about what Zoya Women's Center is and will continue to be. We are a place, a people that offer hope, support, and practical help to women and men who are making decisions in pregnancy or needing assistance with parenting and other life skills. And we communicate this in holistic ways, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We help in many ways. We display the love of God that he gave through his son Jesus as we give of ourselves to those who feel like they have no choice and they have no way to support life. We let them know they do have a choice and they're not alone and we give them a space when they come in to pause and to breathe. What Zoya Women's Center does and will continue to do, we offer free and confidential services such as ultrasounds, medical-grade pregnancy testing. And I want to say here that we, are, we do legally operate under the supervision of a, a medical physician, 
and those who operate the ultrasounds, the medical grade things, all of our medical pieces side is operated by a, a registered nurse, licensed registered nurse, and a sonographer. So we legally operate under the care of that. We offer parenting and prenatal education, fatherhood classes, miscarriage support classes, life skills, material needs assistance. We also offer post-abortion healing. And I want to just mention that this is for anyone and everyone because we even have, there may be those here in our congregation who have gone through an abortion. Or maybe there have been men here who have pushed an abortion. So we offer, we are there, no judgment, no shame, to say if you have felt the effects of that, if anyone has felt the effects of that, of the shame or the judgment that you've put on yourself or you felt others have put on you, that we are there with post-abortion healing. We have people trained to go through things with you to talk. Don't hesitate. We offer emotional and spiritual support, community referrals, material needs assistance. It is deeply out of step to not give women real resources and real support before, during, and after their pregnancies. And we do that in the moment and beyond. We are there for our women and men in our communities. So when you do fill a baby bottle today, you take one or two or three, Bring them back <laughs> when you do take them, or if you give at other fundraisers, or you decide to give monthly on your own, or if you take a bookmark today um, to remind you to pray for the women and men in our communities to discover hope. And when we say hope, it's not to discover a wishful way of thinking. It's to discover that God is our hope, which Psalm 71.5 says, and 1 Timothy 1.1 says, Jesus Christ is our hope. This is what we're praying, that these men and women will discover hope. So when you do that, you are helping, you are a huge part of hope and life to our community. You are making that impact. You are helping us to make that impact as they come in. Too many times in the past, women have felt very ashamed and condemned and judged, even Christian women. There are statistics that one in four women who've attended church had their first abortion and they were attending church because of whatever it was from outside judgment, inside judgment, that they felt they couldn't come in and say, hey, I'm pregnant and I'm in this situation. Well, we want to break that. We want to say, wherever you are, whoever you are, we are here to help you Come up and out, and you can do this. So you are the ones impacting lives. You are the ones displaying the heart of God and helping to bring transformation because the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is a transformational gospel. It is not transactional. We don't do transactions at Zoya Women's Center. We don't do transactions here at church. We are about transformation, God changing us from the inside out, our, our thinking to come and align with his word, his life, his love, his truth. So when we pray for people, 
to discover hope is that they would discover Jesus. So what life opportunities does the body of Christ beyond Zoya Women's Center have? Being biblical is our calling. And again, it's not political, it's being biblical. To be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the church, to engage in the issues that surround pregnancies and abortion and all of those involved to serve and empower, serving as Jesus did with humility and with hope. That's the opportunities we have. So we're going to start with the first one, which is love. We have the opportunity to speak, display, share, and live the love of God first to those who oppose, to those who we want to sometimes maybe fight or fight, they fight us. Matthew 5, 43 through 45 says, You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And how we pray is important too. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he didn't pray for those on the ground who were crucified him that they would be struck dead as well. He prayed for forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's happening and what they're driven by. So love doesn't mean weakness or acceptance of everything. Love is courageous and it speaks truth. And it's always compelled and spoken out of love. And Jesus is our example of that. We also love those whom we serve. Luke 10, 27 through 28 says, And he replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So it was in this passage that Jesus is answering the question. The lawyer had come to him and said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Part of this probably was a trap in the way that he asked things, but what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, then it came to, well, you know, the great commandment, it's all summed up in this, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus, the great commandment was. The word love there is agape, sacrificial with mercy and compassion. And so we are to love God, love others as ourselves with sacrificial love, with compassion and mercy. This is what Jesus said. That was the great commandment. And so the lawyer says, well, who's my neighbor? Who who am I, basically what he was saying is, who am I obligated to love here and to take care of? And Jesus begins to tell the parable all the way through verse 37 in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan. So when Jesus tells this story, you have the wounded, the the person who was walking on the road was robbed, wounded, laying on the road, unable to get up, everything taken from them. And Jesus, Levite, priest, the different people come by, for whatever reason, they avoid, they walk away from, pretend they don't see, whatever it was, they weren't bothered. So the Samaritan comes by, and he responds. So Jesus is telling that story, And he talked about the Samaritan. And then 
he turns to the lawyer and he said, who then proved himself to be a neighbor to this wounded man? And he said, the one who showed mercy and compassion. The word for mercy and compassion there is the same word, rakam, for womb. The neighbor was the one on the road, the vulnerable and the wounded one, who very well at this point, when you look at history, the person who'd been robbed could have been a Jew. So if he was, the Samaritan, the Samaritan and Jews had bad blood between them. You didn't, they didn't mix. They were enemies. The Samaritan still went. So that's what history says he might have been. But the word here, Jesus did not signify. It's significant that he didn't label who this person on the road was. He didn't say, it's this, 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 and this. This is where they're from. This is what they've done. No, nothing about this person. And it's significant that they're not labeled because it really doesn't matter who it is that is wounded, who is vulnerable, who is in a mess. We are to sacrificially love and have no limitations on who we are to show love and mercy and compassion to. Jesus told the lawyer, go and do likewise. Show love and mercy to those that, because sometimes we, we don't. We are tired. We are exhausted. We are angered. We are whatever we are. And we don't always want to get in the mess. We don't always want, we, we want to just pretend we don't see what's happening. It can happen to all of us. But Jesus said, no limitations on the ones you show love and mercy to. We can picture the one on the road maybe as the baby in the womb. We can maybe picture the one on the road as the mother who aborted. We can maybe picture the, picture the one on the road as the man who pushed the abortion. Or many other scenarios of messiness that we might want to avoid and not get involved with. For whatever reason, now, now it is interesting that Jesus did label the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan. He did say who they were. And for whatever reason, we may be like them. But Jesus said, be like the one who showed mercy and compassion. When you look at, there's a few verses in there, what the Samaritan actually did. He did five, six things. He met that person where they were. He didn't stand over here at a distance and call out and say, hey, you need help? Looks like there might be something going on. Do you need, are you good? He didn't say that. He met that person where they were. He had compassion, the word says. He had compassion on him. He went to them, knelt down beside them, and he helped them to heal. He took uh, uh, he dressed the wounds, he took the oil, he took the wine, he poured it in. He did the dirty work right there on the ground with that person. And then he brought that person to a place of further healing and walked with them through it. He didn't just drop them off at the door. He told the people, the inn, the hospital, whatever, wherever he took them, he told them, take care of him. Here's money for this. And when I come back, I'm not going to just leave that person. 
That's what Jesus said, go and do likewise. We can't do it all. It shows that the Samaritan couldn't do it all himself. He needed others to fill in where he couldn't. We need one another as community to say who's in our communities that need help, that are facing things, that are hard things, facing things that we don't agree with. But how are we to go to them, meet them where they are, go to them, pour in, do the dirty work, pick them up, take them to places and work together as a community, as the body of Christ. Number two, illuminate. We have the opportunity to shine the light of Jesus into places that seem really dark, and not just with the women and men, but with those who fight or oppose. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 says, For God, who said, Let there be light in darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.8, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And that's our heart. Is not that the light is shining for, look at the good works that I'm doing. Look at what I've done. It's so that the praise and the honor goes to our Heavenly Father. And He receives the glory. Number three is focus. We have the opportunity to focus on our communities, whether that's our church community, our workplace, our families, our homes, our friends, whatever community that we are in, we have the opportunity to focus on the people who is in that community to speak truth with love and grace. How did Jesus speak truth and love? Was he a weakling and a coward who just accepted everything and decided not to speak up and show love? And say anything? No. He told them in the temple, don't misuse my place of worship. And he wasn't trying to confront and and hate them. He was saying, this is not what this is for. But my love says, don't misuse my place of worship. He also spoke to the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. His enemy, a woman at that, in those days, The men didn't talk to the women. So here he is telling the woman at the well all of her sins, displaying it out there, so to speak. But he did it with with such compassion. It wasn't this confrontation to say, you're wrong, I'm right, and I'm better, and therefore, that's not why he confronted. He confronted to connect and say, what is it? What is deep inside of you? What is it that's driving this? What is it that's going on? And he confronted with such love and compassion and revelation that it drew her right to his heart. And she couldn't hold it in, and she went and told the whole city. And he stayed there for days. His love is strong, it's powerful, and it speaks truth. not there, as Pastor Quentin said, to argue and to come out of this heart of argument and I'm going to one-up you and I'm going to show you and we're just going to be in this debate forever. 
And there are moments for that to happen because in a debate, you can give truth, you can give the pieces. So it's not like we just stand back and... It's the supernatural love of God that we need, as we sang about this morning, to break through. However that needs to look through us. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of this body, the church. And number four, empower. We have the opportunity to empower the women and men, yes, with our voice, but listening to their voice, listening to their fears, their obstacles, the whys of whatever decision that they feel that they need to make or that they want to make. The voices or situations that say they can't or don't want to be pregnant. Letting them know they are heard, and we encourage them that they can be stronger than those fears and those unknowns. That they're not alone. We encourage them that they're smarter than the obstacles that they may face. And we offer what we are able to do that would help them overcome. Letting them know that they can choose hope and they can take courage. That's what we do. We find the referrals, the places, the, what can we do, the churches, the people, our donors. And we say, here's a need, here's an obstacle, here's a fear, here's an unknown. We pull in the people who can also come around side, alongside and help. So these are our life opportunities. Love, illuminate, focus, and empower. And our model for this is humility and service like Jesus. And our mission is to shine the light of God and offer the word of life to all as is seen in this scripture I'm about to read. And I'm going to close with this scripture. Philippians 2, 1 through 16. It's a long scripture, but it's a good one. So Father, I pray that as we read your word, this particular word, that we understand your mission, your model that you gave us in this of humility and hope and offering your word. So by whatever strengthening and consoling and encouraging our relationship in him affords, by whatever persuasive incentive there is in love, by whatever participation in the Holy Spirit we share, and by whatever depths of affection and compassionate sympathy, fill up and complete my joy by living in harmony Unity, being of the same mind and one in purpose, having the same love, being in full accord and of one harmonious mind and intention. Do nothing from factional motives, through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or for unworthy ends, or prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility and the lowliness of mind, let each regard the others as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves." Let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also each for the interests of others. Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility, who, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained, but stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant, slave, and that he became like men and was born a human being. 
And after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, because he stooped so low, God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now, not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent, work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from anything or whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Not in your own strength, though, for it is God who is all the while working effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. So do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining against God and questioning and doubting among yourselves, that you may show yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated, children of God without blemish, faultless, unrebukable, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation, spiritually perverted and perverse, among whom you are seen as bright lights, stars or beacons shining out clearly in the dark world, holding out to it and offering to all men the word of life. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. We pray for an awakening in our own hearts, a boldness in our mouth to speak truth and love. We ask you to show us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. We ask you to show us how to love our neighbor with mercy and compassion. We ask you to reveal to us your righteousness in all things giving us keen and spiritual discernment to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And we declare salvation in our land. We, we say, wind of Holy Spirit, life of God, come and blow over and rest upon those things in our life, in our homes, in our world, in our region that seem to be dead. We declare salvation and transformation. Because you are hope. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And so we speak you, Jesus, over all situations, our hearts, over the lost. We speak and declare salvation and you, Jesus. You have given us authority through your death and through the resurrection on the cross. You have given us the authority over all power of the enemy. Your word says in Luke 10. So we speak out and declare out of that authority to every demonic stronghold of death and every demonic stronghold of hatred and anger and destruction that has been released. And we speak that with the authority that you've given us to be broken and destroyed and of no, no power. And we release the love and the life and the freedom and the truth of God into our region and into our land. We also speak healing into every heart that has been affected by abortion. 
no matter the situation, we speak to every heart that's been affected, whoever it's been. And we speak to any shame and any pain and any depression that's risen up as a result, no matter how long ago it may have been. We break that power of shame and we release the love of God, the supernatural love of God to break through and to bring healing and restoration and peace. And we pray for those who oppose the life issue. We pray for those who are in opposition. We pray for your supernatural love to break through, to speak to the hearts of all of those involved, to draw them in. They're your creation, and you died for them just as much as you died for me. So we break the power that the enemy, that Satan has had over their minds. We know that the enemy comes and he, he grabs the minds and brings deception. So we are declaring truth. We're going to live truth. We're going to declare truth. We're going to pray truth. We're going to speak truth through, the, through your supernatural love to everyone we come in contact with. We don't always have to stay there and speak truth until they see our side. But we have to know that you are speaking through us and you're doing a work. No matter what outcome we might see in that moment. We stand up for who you are. And we bring honor to you as we do all of this. Because it is for your honor. And we say blessing and power and honor and glory belong to you. This is for your kingdom, for your honor, for your glory, that we are who we are here in this body. And that as we go forth today, help us to remember and to do and to live your truth. Not my truth, your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.